This is East Carolina Offensive Coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick. We are talking one of my favorite things, hired football and the sports objective. What's going on, Pirate Nation? Welcome into the Sports Objective. We're talking East Carolina Pirate football here on a Thursday evening. Very excited to take a look at games four and ten of the 2023 schedule. On September 23rd, the running Bulldogs of Gardner-Webb will be coming to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium at 6 o'clock kickoff on ESPN+. And right now, to preview that matchup, welcome into the show for the first time, the play-by-play voice, of the running Bulldogs, Phil Constantino. Phil, we appreciate your time tonight. Bubba, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Coach Lamb is doing a heck of a job there in Boiling Springs, entering his fourth season this fall. Um, his bloodlines in the coaching ranks, you know, run deep. His his father, Hal, an excellent coach in the high school ranks down in Georgia, winning several state titles. And then Uncle Bobby, of course, everything he did at Furman and Mercer. So just first of all, I wanted to talk to you about Trey Lamb, who is just 33 years old. Yeah, when he got to Gardner-Webb, he was hired in December of 2019. So uh, just before I got to Gardner-Webb, um, a few months later. So we've aligned as far as being together for the same amount of seasons. But Trey was, I believe, the youngest coach in all of Division I college football at the time. And when you meet him, you can tell that he is the son of a coach and the nephew of a coach. There's, And I mean this in the best way possible. There's a level of uh, self-confidence and almost arrogance to him. Um, he doesn't beat around the bush. He's straightforward and to the point. Um, and from my perspective, he's great to work with because he always gives you what you need. But uh, he's also not going to waste his time kind of shooting the breeze with you. Um, he's, he's just a good all-around dude. He's a heck of a football coach. He's an offensive guru, very much uh, the mold of these uh, modern air raids, spread it out, snap the football 90 times uh, kind of guys. Uh, but it has been successful, and he has been successful uh, at a program that, quite frankly, uh, two decades in Division One hadn't been that successful. He's really turned this thing around, so – Great dude, great coach, just recently signed a contract extension, and it is incredibly well-deserved. No doubt. 7-6, uh, and 5-0 and oh last year, but of those six losses, the majority of those were very competitive. Um, you played three games against FBS opponents, very good FBS opponents at that, Coastal Carolina, Marshall, and Liberty. Um, those games, in two of them, could have very easily gone the running Bulldogs' way. Well, if you think about it, it was it was a wild schedule. I think it had to be. I don't have a number on this, but I think it had to be one of the toughest schedules in the country in the FCS. Uh, those three FBS games, Coastal, Marshall, and Liberty that you mentioned, um, that's the first time Gardner-Webb's ever played three FBS game. And all of that came about because of some late conference realignment that kind of jacked things up in the Big South. There were some open dates. Uh, and next thing you know, late in 2021, early 2022 you're still worrying about a 2022 football schedule and you and I both know in this sport this schedule is booked usually five ten years out that doesn't happen uh, so that's how that came to be uh, and quite frankly they probably should have won two of those games they turned the football over five times against Coastal Carolina lost by four that includes the final drive in which they were going in to score to, to try and win it uh, same thing happened versus Liberty and if you extrapolate this even further, the year before in 2022, they did the exact same thing against Georgia Southern in the first game of the year where they were down by five, had the football. Georgia Southern case, they were driving and were on the fringe of the red zone and turned it over. So they've played five FBS games in three years under Coach Lamb. And in three of those games, you could legitimately argue they should have won. And so if, if that doesn't show you the growth of the program if that doesn't show you just how good Gardner-Webb is um, and has been the last couple of years, 
um, then I don't know what does. And also to your point, um, that schedule was not just three tough FBS games. There were no real walkover games. Uh, I mean, they played in the non-conference in the regular season, two ranked FCS teams, uh, Elon and Mercer. And then in the playoffs, beat Eastern Kentucky. It was the first ever FCS playoff uh, victory in program history. Beat Eastern Kentucky for the first win. Uh, and then played a top five ranked William and Mary team. And that's how the season ended. So seven and six overall, I do think is incredibly misleading. You mentioned the five and zero record unbeaten in league play. They took care of the, uh, the six team big South last year, uh, but an incredibly difficult schedule, especially given the level and what they're competing against. So seven and six to me needs a little bit of a qualifier. If that makes sense. No doubt. Um, because with the results against those FBS opponents, um, you, know, you would certainly um, – I was surprised when I saw six losses, but then once I looked at the schedule in full, um, as you said, it, it made more sense. But um, but a heck of a seven and six football team um, for sure. And That's seven and six team in the country, probably. No doubt. Uh, <laughs> and uh, – I'd say that what you were saying as far as it being the top FCS schedule uh, is very probable. But um, before we dive into the personnel, taking a look at this year's schedule, in addition to to traveling to East Carolina on September 23rd, um, you begin the season up in Boone against App State. So another very challenging September. Yeah, two FBS games on the schedule this year, which is a little bit more normal. Uh, and I think uh, Coach Lamb likes that. But the to be completely honest with you, with how much they have coming back, the little bit that I've seen the team around summer workouts, the little bit that I've uh, spoken to uh, the coaching staff, they genuinely believe that they can go to Boone and win. Now, you know how good that Appalachian State program has been over the last few years. Um but if you look at the track record of what Gardner-Webb has done, one of the preseason polls has a number 22 in the country in FCS football. Uh, they're returning 21 starters. It's a little bit misleading because they've got 15 guys on the defense that in their past have legitimate, fairly long-term starting experience. So if you go position by position, it's more like 17 starters. But you return 17 of 22, both sides of the ball, coming off of an unbeaten conference record and a conference championship a lot of confidence, a lot of experience, and what they've done against FBS opponents in the past. I'm not saying they're going to go to win, or go to App State and win, but there's a legitimate belief that in these FBS games, that both of them, App State and East Carolina, I think there's a legitimate belief that they can win. Uh, and it doesn't always work that way when FCS teams walk, walk off the bus uh, at these big FBS stadiums. A couple of minutes ago, you were talking about the philosophy of Coach Lamb on the offensive side. Uh, you know, tell us about some of the personnel there. I know, I, know you, uh, I was reading earlier, you, you lost your quarterback who threw for right at 3,000 yards a year ago. Yeah, and Bailey Fisher was uh, he was a heck of a player. He was the Big South Offensive Player of the Year. He's actually now on the staff working with the quarterbacks uh, since he graduated. But that's 65% completion. That's a little over 2,900 yards passing. Uh, 19 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and I think what was most underrated about him because he had such good mechanics and he looked the part as a passer, he rushed for 11 touchdowns and he really could run the football. Tons of speed, but effective use of the spread option. And that is something that um, Trey Lamb's offense has always been predicated on. He loves having a quarterback that can run. Uh, now, there are three guys – in the mix to replace him this year. But ultimately, yes, the quarterback position is a big question mark. Everywhere else, they return talent that they're comfortable with. Everywhere else. Uh, starting with Nari Gaither, who's in his past been an All-American last year. He was a uh, first-team All-Conference running back. In fact, uh, he's a three-time All-Conference player. He's using his COVID year here. Uh, last year rushed for over 1,000 yards, about 102 yards per game. That's pretty darn good. But he also is a great receiver out of the backfield that they use effectively um, on swing routes and, and others. So uh, they have a lot of talent. There's no question about it. The question is, 
you, know, you got to get the quarterback position right, but you also do you have a guy in the program right now that can fill the role of such a talented quarterback, Bailey Fisher, uh, who graduated and he was able to run the football. Uh, the three guys in the mix right now, Ty Lyles, Coastal Carolina transfer, uh, Geno English, a Florida State transfer, uh, and Matthew Caldwell, uh, who's the one returner from that trio. Uh, he was the backup last year. Bailey actually, I think, was hurt for a game or two, and Caldwell started. Um, he's the presumptive heir to the throne, though my understanding is that it's a pretty open battle. And whoever takes that spot uh, is going to have big shoes to fill. Someone I wanted to ask you about, uh, you were mentioning running backs, um, transferring over from East Carolina, um, you know, is, as is so common in this day and age of the transfer portal. And uh, Nemo Squire, uh, talk about how Nemo Squire has done since arriving in Boiling Springs. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally haven't had really a chance to get out there uh, and look at it, so I don't know that I'm the best uh, best one to answer that question. Uh, we, we've had a lot going on uh, in our athletic department here. Um, but I'll tell you, he's in the mix. Um, and I'll tell you that I know that Coach Lamb, he doesn't miss on many recruits. He knows what he's looking for. Um, he knows what he's looking for. And, and if it fits, he'll be out there. And uh, there have there has been in this offense, and they're running 90 to 95 snaps, snaps a game. Um, it's about as fast of an offense as I've seen in college football. Um, you know, as fast as some of those – uh, Washington State teams and trying to think who else has spread it around so well over the last few years. They hurry up to the line and snap the ball. So that oftentimes means they are rolling through skill position players. So what you see on the depth chart, you know, as a play-by-play guy, you make your chart, you make your two deep, you better have another roster handy because they may go three or four deep at a position. Uh, so do be mindful of that, that you're going to see them rolling through uh, players. Who are some of the top receivers that are returning? Well, I also think that that is a little bit of a question mark. They lost T.J. Luther, uh, who was uh, an All-American, I think second or third teamer by uh, by one of those, um, you know, million media outlets, uh, Phil Steele maybe. Um, but he signed as an undrafted free agent with the New York Jets, and there was some talk about him getting drafted. At one point, he was a first-team all-conference player, league's leading receiver, very talented guy uh, who had transferred over two years in the program from Wofford. Uh, that said, Caleb Borders is a young freshman that came on late last year. Um, Justin Franklin is uh, in the mix. He's he's a returning player. Uh, Kareem Page is another player that came on late last year. Hakeem Meggett, um, Malik Huggins. And then also... Uh, there's a guy by the name of A.J. Johnson who joined the program, I want to say, in the middle of last season, got some practices in but never dressed for a game. And he is a former four-star recruit. Uh, some things fell through, uh, and he ended up at Gardner-Webb. And I believe this will technically be his first, his freshman year uh, coming up here. Uh, he's a New Orleans product. So there is talent in the room. There is a lot of returning players. Again, they lost the star. Uh, but those are the names to look out for. And, and it's, it's going eight, nine deep. And I'm serious that they'll, it's more than likely that every single snap they'll line up four wide. Uh, and then with how quick they're going, it is in and out. Um, I've even heard Trey talk about, you know, if we throw a deep ball, I have to, with how, with the pace that we play, say we throw a, a go pattern, 50 yard pass incomplete, that receiver has to come off the field. There's not enough time with the pace that they play for that receiver to get back on sides and do what they want to do. So that's how much they sometimes roll through uh, those those skill position players. To be as competitive as a program as the, the Bulldogs were a year ago, uh, you obviously have to be good in the trenches. You know what what does this team return uh, as far as the offensive line? Well, I think it starts with Gabe Thompson. He's probably going to play center. Um, they've moved offensive linemen position to position a lot. Uh, and I think they found a rhythm about halfway through last year with Gabe Thompson uh, at center. He's a big boy, 6'3", 304 from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and he can move some folks. Another all-conference guy. Um, great kid, class president. Uh, he, he's involved in things as high as being on the student committee uh, for hiring our new athletic director that started last October. Uh, just a phenomenal uh, human being. 
Uh, Gabe's been around the program uh, for a while now, and, and I believe this will be his last year of eligibility. Uh, outside of that, uh, Kyle Snyder is another guy who's a grad student, fifth-year player uh, on the interior line. I would say that they may have some questions at the tackle positions. Uh, we'll see. They lost an all-conference offensive lineman, Clayton Frady, uh, who was a North Carolina kid that transferred up to Virginia Tech. So that's a, that's a, a position where um, they may have to uh, replace a couple of folks. The, I think the overall theme of what, of what you'll probably hear from me personnel-wise is that there are definitely more holes on the offense than there are on the defense. Almost everyone on the defense comes back. Of those 21 starters that I told you about that had starting experience, um, you know, really 17 positions, if you go position by position, well, 15 of those 21 are on the defense. So the offense has some holes, but I don't think in any in recruiting there's any lack of talent. And the biggest question mark, as I said before, uh, quarterback. That's you, you know how that goes. That's That's big. Talking about that veteran defense, uh, it was a unit that allowed 29 points and 395 yards a season ago. So, you know, who are you know some of those um, many faces that are returning that are, you know, all-conference caliber players? Yeah, and, and those numbers you mentioned, Bubba, the, you put them in perspective a little bit. Think about how many snaps they're trying to play offensively. So those numbers are even better. You know, they may seem pretty good in today's college football, those numbers are even better when you consider, you know, what the margins are that the offense is putting up and how many snaps on the field that the defense ends up playing. Um, and so as a result, uh, you will see them cycle through defensive linemen quite a bit. Um, the linebacker positions, I think those are pretty set. I don't even see uh, where there would be um, any position battles in camp. Uh, William McCraney, Brendan Jackson, Ty Anderson, all, all conference players in the past, uh, McCraney, uh, was the lead leader, I think this was two years ago now, I lose track of time, was the lead leader in tackles in the Big South. Uh, Jackson and Anderson, good players. Uh, and then across the back, you have uh, Raekwon Owsley, Jamari Brown, A.J. Thomas, T.J. Jones at the cornerback and safety spots. Those seven, I think, are set. Every single one of them is a returning player um, that is incredibly talented, uh, either has been an all-conference guy um, in Raekwon Owsley's case, he was on one of those All-America lists, or they have the potential to be in all-conference gap. All of them have uh, extensive starting experience in their past. Jamari Brown is actually um, the signal caller for the defense uh, at the safety position is, is kind of how they do it. Um, those seven are set up front. I think you can make an argument that the front four is set. Uh, the defensive ends, Ty French, an All-American, uh, just a big-time player, probably a little bit undersized for the FBS, which is how uh, that combined with when he was recruited during the COVID cycle um, is probably why he's at Gardner-Webb. Um, and I think uh, much to the excitement of Gardner-Webb fans in the Boiling Springs community, uh, Gardner-Webb's been able to keep him. Uh, but he's an All-American and just a, a rangy 6'3", 230 pounds, defensive end who's kind of built more than a, like a linebacker uh, will stand up off the edge a lot. Uh, they'll blitz him a lot. They'll even drop him back into pass coverage. He's, he's a very versatile player. Uh, the other defensive end, Bryce Bass. Um, he's a long 6'4", 250. I think his wingspan, he walks the hall, kind of looks more like he should be on Tim Kraft's basketball team uh, with, with how he can affect the play. Um, just that long wingspan really does damage. My guess is that, He's pretty solidly going to start at the other defensive end spot. And then up front in the middle, uh, Charlie Jackson and Willie Harris are likely your, your nose guard and defensive tackle. It's a 4-2-5 defense. Um, I don't really foresee, of those 11 names, a whole lot of uh, potential changes or other players starting there. That, that defense is pretty set. Josh Reardon has been a defensive coordinator from the start for Trey Lamb and has done a phenomenal job with them. The back seven certainly set and the front four the only reason why i say maybe uh, a position battle i don't even want to call it that uh, it's because the amount of snaps they end up on the field for um you know you got to cycle through the big guys a little bit <laughs> so you'll see a little chris richardson uh you, you'll see a little bit of uh jai barnes maybe uh, some of the other guys that are listed on the depth chart uh, at those defensive tackle positions who don't have as much experience 
Phil, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Before we let you go, I know we were discussing um, before we went live that you do know new East Carolina play-by-play -play voice and director of broadcasting, Chris Edwards. Uh, he was wow. named he was named the, the new voice of the Pirates this morning, replacing the late Jeff Charles, who unfortunately uh, passed away back in early February. But, uh, you know, what can you tell us about Chris? Yeah, I know Chris a little bit. I don't, I don't, I don't know him incredibly well, but we've crossed paths some time. Uh, I was at Queens University in Charlotte uh, before I got to Gardner-Webb uh, three years ago. This would be my fourth season. And I think Chris at the time was actually doing a package of uh, TV games with Catawba College. Uh, who was a big rival of ours who, who we played against in basketball. And uh, Chris did some of those games. I know he did a bunch of other Catawba football games. Um, just a, a good dude, uh, treats the broadcast with respect, uh, has the respect of his peers. And um, I believe he's got some ECU ties in his past as well. Uh, and um, I know the reputation uh, in the, uh, the Raleigh, Durham, and further northeast part of the state kind of away from us. Uh, I know his reputation is certainly uh, certainly a good one. I, I, I've never heard anyone speak negatively about Chris uh, at all. So you guys got a good one. And I look forward to seeing him on uh, uh, whatever was it, September 23rd, week four? Yep. September 23rd, 6 o'clock. I got three games to get through first, but I'll see you there. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, again, appreciate the time and tell folks how they can follow you on social media. Um, well, at Phil Constantino, not hard to find, uh, but I'd, I'd encourage um, I'd encourage them all to uh, check out the team as well at GWU Sports uh, on all the respective handles and GWUSports.com uh, for all the information out of uh, Gardner Webb's uh, athletic communications department. Uh, I know sometimes those FBS games, uh, some of your fans up there, Bubba, they, they you know Gardner Webb rolls up and they uh, you know they don't know a whole lot about them. And uh, so uh, great work is done by that sports information department. And uh, there, there's a lot of good information about them on there. So if you want to educate yourself before you come on out to the, to the stadium for that one, um, that's where you can find it, all the info. No doubt. Uh, I've certainly told other Pirate fans, me and my co-host on this show, uh, just you know, how dangerous Gardner-Webb could be um, because, you know, you take a look at what they did a year ago, nearly knocking off Coastal Carolina and then um, Liberty as well, and then playing Marshall very competitively for the majority of that game up in Huntington. But, uh, again, appreciate the time, and we'll catch up down the road. Appreciate it, Bubba. Thank you. Thank you so much. Right now we'll move from taking a look at game four to game ten on November 11th, and the Pirates will travel down to Boca Raton to take on the Florida Atlantic Owls, and right now, to preview that matchup, I'm very excited to welcome back to the show the play-by-play -play voice of Florida Atlantic, and that's Ken Levicka. Ken, how are you? Bubba, it's great to talk to you, man. It's been a while, so it's good to hear your voice. And I heard you talking about Jeff Charles, and uh, this is my first time having any sort of uh, platform uh, with uh, with East Carolina fans. So belated my condolences. He was uh, one hell of a broadcaster, an even better person, and looking forward to meeting Chris once the season gets underway. But uh, I, I always enjoy talking with you, and it's good to good to be back in the same conference now. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. And you know, like, like you said, you know, very sad what happened with Jeff. I, I know Chris will do an excellent job, and that's one of the reasons that I really felt like Chris uh, was I – mean, he was one of the, the guys that I had had on the short list from the get-go because not only is an East Carolina guy, he's an, obviously an excellent broadcaster, and he had the proper perspective on what transpired and – would do nothing but honor Jeff's legacy. But, um, you know, before we dive into Tom Herman's ball club, uh, you, you referenced the move to the American. And, and as you mentioned, East Carolina and, and Florida Atlantic uh, were in the same league back in CUSA in 2013. I remember when you guys came to Dowdy Ficklin for a Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. But uh, just talk about that transition. Now, obviously, all the excitement of winning 35 games on the hardwood and making a Final Four with Dusty May. And then you've seen glimpses, uh, especially under Lane Kiffin, on the gridiron. 
Yeah, no question about it. Uh, two Conference USA championships in three years under Lane Kiffin, two bowl wins under Lane Kiffin as well before he went on to Ole Miss. So this is a, a team that is transitioning into Tom Herman after three disappointing years under Willie Taggart. And it was not a question of the talent. A lot of the talent that Lane Kiffin had, Willie Taggart had, but uh, it was just the execution wasn't there. It was a mistake-laden program. It was a program that faced a lot of hurdles from a, a luck standpoint, a matchup perspective, late losses across the board all three years. And so now you bring in one of the Americans' best coaches in conference, in, in conference history in Tom Herman uh, to see if he can rekindle some of the magic that he had in Houston before he went on to Texas. But it's been nothing but energy from Tom Herman. And I know that's not a tangible thing, but he's come in and he took some time away from the game, did some TV work. He is really, really an electric personality. And so there's certainly contrast between him and his predecessor. And again, not trying to show any disrespect to Willie Tagger, but it's just a completely different approach. And uh, especially coming off of what the basketball program did and going to the final four, this is the first time uh, that I can remember. And really, I never thought I'd see a time in Florida Atlantic's history where the football team is trying to rebound off of what the basketball team did. That is just still stunning to me that this is actually a, uh, a, a realistic universe that we're living in. So Tom Herman comes in, has a lot of talent, but has a lot of work to do from what's been a pretty undisciplined team that didn't execute well in big moments over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, love that hire Tom Herman uh, way back when, you know, when it, when it transpired following last season then because he was someone you know with the success Mike Houston's had in Greenville you know had, had we won a couple more games or so last year you know who knows what may have happened uh, whether coach Houston would still be around or not but um, you know you, I was kind of thinking along along the lines of an AD you always had that list in your head and uh, he was someone that I would certainly would have wanted the Pirates to reach out to had something like that transpired. But, uh, you know, we all know what a different animal that Texas job is. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, when, when Texas made that decision to fire him after the seven and three season, where all three of those losses were very, you know, super competitive and came down to the wire, including, I think, what, like a three overtime loss to Oklahoma. Right. So I, I really love Tom Herman as a football coach. And um, he, he's inheriting a roster that's pretty stocked for success from what I hear. Yeah. And uh, what's what's important to note, I'm glad you mentioned the seven and three season at Texas. I mean, you know, as as well as anybody, you follow the sport so closely, Bob. I mean, that Texas job can just be a soul sucking experience. And so uh, very little patience and there's constant movement in the background and money. People are maneuvering, pulling the strings. And so when Tom Herman left, he was ready to step away from from the game a bit and did that. And so he comes into Boca Raton now and he inherits an offense that is extremely skilled on the outside. It has a lot of extremely talented wide receivers, including Lejante Wester, who is a speedster, who was one of the most dependable receivers in all of Conference USA last year, an explosive wideout, a collection of receivers. However, the quarterback position is still up for grabs. That's very much a competition going into the fall. Uh, Nikosi Perry, the former Miami quarterback that transferred for his final two years of college football to FAU, he has now departed. He has graduated. And so now you have to really sort of dig in and, and see what is there from a the quarterback perspective. There's a very good running game with Larry McCammon and Javari Mobley that will be behind Whichever quarterback wins the job, a fairly consistent offensive line, bringing back four starters from a year ago, that will be helpful. It was an offensive line that certainly had its ups and its downs in Florida Atlantic from an offensive standpoint, was middle of the pack in Conference USA. Defensive standpoint, middle of the pack in Conference USA. Could come up with big plays, but could give up big plays. Did nothing spectacular. Did nothing consistent. And so that's... That's going to be the task for Tom Herman and his coaching staff. It's going to be, can you bring consistency to a roster that has a lot of speed? 
has a lot of talent, has a lot of upside. But moving to a new conference, now your your job is to try and make it more consistent, to make it more disciplined, to keep the defense from giving up the explosive plays. There were holes and injuries in the secondary a year ago. Can you fix that? Can you avoid some of those calamities? Back-to-back years, Florida Atlantic lost home games in the regular season finale that would have made them bowl eligible. I talked about the big moments earlier. That certainly enters the discussion when you're talking about the job that Tom Herman has to do. So, I mean, you, you assessed it well, Robert. There's, there's a lot there. There's a lot of talent. It is there, and it's available available to, to be tapped. That said, it's more than just talent, as you guys know up in East Carolina. It's got to be formed into something. It needs to be molded. It was not molded well enough the previous three seasons, and so Tom Herman comes in and hopes that in year one – where he probably has enough talent to make things interesting in the American. Can you get these guys on a, on a frontward trajectory? And that's really going to be the battle. Yeah. Preparing for this interview, you know, looking at some of the, the personnel returning and the, the quarterback situation is something that did jump off the page uh, with, with those transfers coming into the program. So if you would just elaborate a little bit more on the likes of uh, Richardson, Johnson and Thompson. Yeah, so Richardson comes in, uh, and he is a former Central Michigan man. He's a South Florida guy, and uh, he comes in and and received a lot of first-team reps in the spring. So you're sort of eyeing him. He was definitely a high-profile transfer uh, and uh, a lot of eyebrows raised, and it was very popular in South Florida circles that he's coming back home after playing with Tim McElwain at uh, Central Michigan. He's going to have to improve his accuracy, however. In the spring game, he was very, very positive. Showed a lot of flashes, but what are you 100% taking from a spring game? So that's what's going to have to be applied into the fall. He was not especially consistent during spring ball, but did show out in the spring game. That's the good news. Now, as far as Michael Johnson is concerned, he is formerly of Penn State. He was uh, working under his father at one time, under Willie Taggart. Michael Johnson was the offensive coordinator uh, at Florida Atlantic in Willie Taggart's second year. He went on to new endeavors, so Michael Johnson comes in, and uh, he is someone that has battled injuries in his time at Florida Atlantic. He battled injuries in his time at Penn State. He's an ultra-athlete. He doesn't have uh, the most accurate arm at all. He is a mobile quarterback. He's someone that can get out on the move, get out on the run. Uh, He's someone that uh, really needs to work on throwing on the run, but he has shown Even during the last season in practice, during the regular season, he has improved. He has leadership capabilities. There's a lot of athletes in that quarterback room. Can they turn into guys that can consistently distribute the football all while knowing you have, if healthy, a strong ground game behind you? And as far as Thompson is concerned, he's going to come in. He's going to be involved in the mix. He's going to be in this quarterback discussion. But things get crowded. Reps get crowded when there's three guys who could conceivably win the quarterback competition going into the fall. It is very much up for grabs. So he's going to have to early catch Coach's eye and early have to earn himself some more reps going into the uh, the season opener against Monmouth uh, because, again, and Lane Kiffin went through this in his time at Florida Atlantic as well. He had quarterback competitions every single year. Uh, you you have to you have to get noticed, and with three guys, and especially someone who started at Central Michigan, someone who saw time at Penn State. You've got to fight for those reps. But it is very, very, very up in the air. I mean, Bubba, when I'm breaking down these quarterbacks, there's no discernible distance that anybody has set themselves ahead uh, of any of the other quarterbacks coming out of the spring. So it's very much at the reset button day one of fall camp without question. If that question is successfully answered, it seems as though with the other personnel at the skill positions as well as what returns on the offensive line, that the Owls could be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, Jaquan Burton and Lejante Wester are really, really, really good. I mean, they are. And then you've got uh, someone who who came up real strong in the final five, six games of last season, Tony Johnson, who has very, very strong hands. Not the fastest receiver, but very much the most significant possession receiver that FAU has. There is speed for days on the outside when it comes to this offense, it's just can they get the ball 
And that's going to be the question. And how can this coaching staff creatively get the ball in the respective hands of these burners on the outside? As far as the ground game is concerned, like I said, it's going to be anchored by Larry McCammon and Zuberry Mobley. McCammon, especially over the last couple of seasons, has been a top two or three running back overall ability level and production level in Conference USA. Mobley is a bowling ball, makes guys miss, eats up a lot of carries, a lot of the percentage of the touches, and they FAU is going to be capable of grounding teams down with the run. That will give the quarterbacks at least a little bit of a cushion early on in the season uh, to, to get comfortable. The ground game is going to be a major asset to Tom Herman, and that offensive line is big. That offensive line is beefy. That offensive line is experienced as well in front of whoever wins the quarterback competition. They were strong in pass protection a year ago. They were very good as far as run blocking is concerned. There's no reason to believe that FAU shouldn't be able to come into the American and at least be middle of the pack when it comes to sacks allowed and and yards gained on the ground. And, And from there, it's a question of, can FAU's passing game get itself to a level that everybody believes that it can be? And then perhaps you have something going. I'm under no illusion that FAU certainly has question marks across the board on offense, but a more comes from how can you get the, 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 the speed, the ball? There is a ton of speed to work with. How do you delineate uh, who gets touches and when and who's going to be best served to deliver that football. Those are the, the the most pressing questions going into the season opener against Monmouth in the month that will lead into to going in that on the practice field. Shifting over to the defensive side, I know a season ago it was a struggle allowing nearly 40 points a game, 425 yards. So what can you tell us about who Coach Herman brought in to, to coordinate the defense, first of all, and then I know a lot of the personnel is back, correct? Yeah, a lot of the personnel is back, including the big 300-pound defensive lineman who was flirted with by almost every power five in the country in the transfer portal, and that's Evan Anderson, big number eight along the defensive front. He anchors everything. And uh, you, you mentioned the, the points allowed, and that was certainly a sticking point, and that hurt. And the problem is it was only about three or four games that ballooned that points per game allowed. Everything was fairly consistent, but unfortunately, when you get dinged to the extent FAU at times got dinged last year and again in only three or four games, uh, it becomes extremely difficult to uh, to not have people questioning the acumen of the defense. Florida Atlantic is very, very, very skilled on the outside. Uh, Smoke Mungin uh, leading the corners uh, at, the, at the boundary for FAU defensively, but Health was such a problem for FAU last year. It seemed like the corners, there was a new corner down every single game requiring medical attention, missing games. Uh, the depth, the, the hope is the depth is improved, but you also hope the depth isn't, in need, isn't needed nearly as much it was needed uh, a year ago. As far as the defensive coordinator is concerned, Rockville and Tony comes in after a stick at Auburn. Prior to that, he was at Utah State and Washington State. This is the second go-around for Rockville and Tony at Florida Atlantic. He was the defensive coordinator, first linebackers coach, then defensive coordinator under Charlie Partridge when he was the head coach at Florida Atlantic before Partridge was let go after the 2016 season and inherited the role he has served since, which is associate head coach at Pitt. Uh, but Rockville and Tony gets the call again. Uh, second goal around as a defensive coordinator, and the hope is that uh, he's going to be able to, to maximize what Florida Atlantic has on the defensive side. And again, this was a heavily penalized bunch a year ago. Uh, really struggled through portions of the season, keeping uh, the uh, the penalty yardage uh, at a even a medium as opposed to a minimum. Uh, so if things can stay without flags hitting the field, there's enough there for FAU to at least be formidable in a highly offensive uh, American conference. That said, uh, you got to make sure that you stay healthy. Sometimes that's easier said than done. But Rock Bell and Tony, I would say probably a couple fewer question marks on his side of the ball uh, as compared to the offensive side of the ball, at least going into uh, this 2023 campaign. Taking a look at the 2023 schedule, you referenced opening against Monmouth, FCS foe, and then Ohio out of the MAC uh, travels down to Boca. Uh, so, 
certainly not uh, gimmies by any any stretch. But at the same time, if you're going to play at Clemson and at Illinois, you like the way it <laughs> sets up in September. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And Ohio is going to be a sticking point for this team. Florida Atlantic went up to Athens a year ago and uh, had a second-half lead and just completely melted down in the fourth quarter, got thrown all over. And I talked about how three or four games ballooned that points per game allowed for that FAU defense. That Ohio game was absolutely one of them. That was a head-scratcher. That got away from FAU in a massive way. And so – Welcome in Ohio down to Boca Raton in what should be swamp-like tropical temperatures. FAU certainly has that one circuit on the calendar. And then, as you mentioned, you got Clemson coming up, and then you got Illinois after that. Uh, two bruising teams, two different styles of how they bruise you out of the upper echelons of the Power Five. So you're exactly right from a mental standpoint playing well, executing well, handling business against Monmouth, and then getting some revenge against Ohio. That's the best possible situation for you to uh, to enter those games against Clemson and Illinois. Uh, and then you start American play and a, a new endeavor, a new journey in FAU football program history uh, gets underway with a conference that is going to be absolutely fascinating, especially because – there are uh, a couple of teams out of the uh, Conference USA entering the American, including UTSA, that I think are going to be able to compete for an American championship right off the bat. This is going to be top to bottom, and I understand the consternation from uh, American teams. Oh, Conference USA squad's coming in. You lose Houston. You lose UCF. Uh, you lose Cincinnati. I understand the hand-wringing over that, but I'm telling you, there is quality. There are quality football teams coming in that are going to make this one heck of a football conference. No doubt. Like you mentioned, uh, UTSA, uh, heck of a program. Very impressive what Coach Trailer has done there. And um, that fan base really gets behind the roadrunners. Yeah. Uh, so just talk about how the schedule is uh, for the Owls within the American, in addition to hosting the Pirates on November 11th. Yeah, so uh, Florida Atlantic will go to USF, and so USF has certainly had its issues, but I mentioned USF first because that's the new regional rivalry for Florida Atlantic. FAU has spent his entire existence with FIU, uh, still in Conference USA is the rival, not on the schedule this year, so USF is going to be the team that uh, FAU travels to with this new rivalry. Uh, and then a couple, a couple more uh, teams that come to mind, Florida Atlantic and Tulane. That certainly is a game that's, that's marked on the schedule. You also go down the line. And uh, Conference USA teams that FAU is going to be playing again in year one. Charlotte, who FAU has handled in a massive way going back to the Conference USA days. Florida Atlantic gets another crack at Charlotte. FAU is also going to be at UAB, a place that they have struggled mightily the uh, the last couple of seasons. And uh, for Florida Atlantic, this is really going to be a feeling-out process, speaking of the American teams. I mean, you've got the, the American holdovers, and then you have the newcomers to the American from FAU's Conference USA. This really is going to be a feeling-out process. Like Bob, I'm telling you, I think that there's enough talent here to win ball games in the American, but you can't be mistake laden. You can't be mistake prone. You can't have the calamities that FAU would have from a penalty standpoint or from a blown assignment, late game, late instance, lack of execution perspective of FAU is going to be in the discussion going into the final month of the season. So this is going to be a massive barometer for this FAU team. And again, having the opportunity to go against East Carolina, having the opportunity to go against Tulane, having the opportunity to get a crack at Charlotte and UAB. Uh, this is going to be significant for this program, but I'm telling you, this FAU team may not fully even know what it is coming out of the four games in the non-conference going into American play. There's just so many questions about who's going to play where, how can this be best facilitated? Uh, it, it's it's certainly not ideal for Tom Herman, but I think he's accepted the fact that this is very much going to be a work in progress throughout the course of the year. And there's going to be ups and downs with it. Coming into a, a, a better football conference won't help the cause, but it's certainly going to uh, help this team improve as time extends on during the course of the campaign. I believe here within the last few weeks uh, that Coach Herman was on with Jim Rome and Jim Rome was asking Coach about the excitement of the basketball program and then 
how he is attempting to parlay that into success on the gridiron. So, you know, uh, what what can you tell us on that front? And then also the fan base, um, you know, the all the excitement surrounding the Final Four appearance um, and then hiring such an excellent football coach. Uh, you know, are you seeing that carry over? Like how many season tickets have the Owls sold? Yeah, so FAU is actually uh, up around 35% more season tickets sold than they were last year in football. And I think a lot of that has to do with the carryover effect from the basketball program. FAU's basketball program is going to have every game sold out uh, this season. And so uh, this is just a carryover effect. And what I appreciate about Tom Herman is that there are some schools where new football coach comes in and and, and he's trying to establish – his own thing. And he's trying to make sure that he's focused on his program and wants to build it independently. But Tom Herman from second one, and he came in right in the thick of FAU basketball in the midst of a 20 game winning streak a season ago, immediately threw himself right in the middle of uh, the, the frenzy that was FAU basketball, traveled to road games, was at the Conference USA tournament, was at every NCAA tournament game, even during the course of spring ball. And so he, instead of, hey, this is FAU football, this is our own thing, we apply our own path, he understands the importance of, uh, of using the excitement around basketball to propel this football program, constantly referencing them, trying to make sure that the excitement that people are feeling, uh, some of the, the folks in, in South Florida that maybe had never gone to an FAU game that have been caught up in the, the fervor of Florida Atlantic that have gone out and spent money on the season tickets, putting out a product on the field, uh, wrapping himself in the FAU basketball flag, trying to keep these people around and giving them an entertaining product. And he's fully embraced that. It's completely egoless from Tom Herman. And I, I have been extremely impressed with how he's tried to immerse himself in the basketball program. That hasn't always been the case at FAU with the basketball and football program. The, uh, the intertwining, the ability to, 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 to willingly work together and market and brand together. And both Tom Herman and Dusty May have really jumped aboard and have really become very good allies within the athletic department and on campus. And so everything that Tom Herman told Jim Rome, I wasn't surprised about that. And that just echoes more of what Tom Herman's told me and what he's told uh, many in and around FAU. And don't think that it hasn't helped some of these donors and gift givers. It has enough Tom Herman to, uh, to, to help facilitate some of the very uh, necessary financial obligations that need to be met from uh, outsiders uh, in the FAU community. So Tom Herman has tried to maximize it to the best of his capability, as he should, and he's done it in a very willing and exuberant manner. And I think that that is uh, just an exemplary outcome. You had the 35-win basketball season. You had the Final Four, so why wouldn't Tom Herman jump aboard and try to, uh, try to rebound off of that? No doubt. Uh, and – Ken, before we let you go, we appreciate your time this evening and tell folks how they can follow you on social media for our viewers. You can see it there at the top of the screen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at KLV1063, that's my personal Twitter account. Uh, and uh, as always, uh, FAUsports.com for anything happening with Florida Atlantic, especially with East Carolina uh, coming back as a uh, conference brethren for Florida Atlantic. So uh, feel free to research up. I'm looking forward to talking to you as we get through the, uh, the football season bubble. But again, at KLV1063, I do answer DMs, just keep it classy. And uh, it's always good catching up, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate the visit. And, you know, most prognosticators, you know, have the, the Pirates and Owls somewhere in the middle of the pack in the American. But um, it would not surprise me to see to see either of these clubs or perhaps both, you know, you know, vying to get into that top three or four and potentially pushing the likes of a UTSA, Memphis, et cetera, for a league crown. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think you're right on with that, and I think it's going to be very wide open, which is going to make it very fun, and I am looking forward to uh, stepping foot back in Greenville for the first time in quite some time, so uh, I am uh, pretty pumped for that. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll catch up here in a little over uh, three and a half months uh, when the Pirates and Al square off down in Boca. Bubba, appreciate it. Looking forward to it. We'll see you in basketball season. We'll talk to you before the football matchup. Take care. That is the play-by-play voice of the Florida Atlantic Owls, Ken Levicka. Appreciate his time this evening, as well as the play-by-play voice 
of the Gardner-Webb running Bulldogs, Phil Constantino, who joined us in our first half hour. Um, before we get out of here and wrap up this edition of the program, a few more thoughts and quotes from the new play-by-play voice of the Pirates, and that is Chris Edwards. I mean, Chris said, I am humbled to have been entrusted with the duty as the next play-by-play announcer at ECU. A sincere thank you to Clay Walker, John Gilbert, and the rest of the ECU and ECU Sports Network family for allowing me to tell the stories of our student-athletes and coaches. I cannot wait to get to work on helping to chronicle this chapter of Pirate Athletics. He went on to say, East Carolina University and Greenville have played such a huge part in my life, and I am so fortunate to have the chance to give back to the place that has given so much to me. While we look forward to our next chapter in ECU's history, it's important to not forget our past, and I'm going to strive each day to honor the memory and the legacy of Jeff Charles, who will forever be the voice of the Pirates. Excellent words there, and I know um, that's certainly heartfelt from Chris Edwards. Had the opportunity to meet Chris back in August of 2015 when he and Jay Sonhalter were calling the the state's longest-running High school football rivalry, that is the bell game um, between Kannapolis and Concord. And uh, you know, certainly got to know Chris through the years with, with him coming on the show to preview East Carolina Duke baseball matchups. But, uh, you know, appreciate everyone tuning in. Again, you've been watching the Sports Objective on Facebook, YouTube Live, and you can pretty much find us on all podcast platforms. But uh, for my entire team here at the Sports Objective, Kyle Barber, Dave Richmond, and Matt Stemenza. I'm Bub Rosenbaum. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Pirates. Every foot, every yard, every first down, every touchdown with the cannons blast. Get it on, get it all, get the way it's going.